Welcome back. You're watching Traders Corner and joining me as always is Garth McKenzie, founder and editor of Traders Corner. Garth, welcome. Hi, Julieta. Garth, I suppose if there were any justice in the world, um, having the two biggest buffoons uh, as leaders would make our stock markets go backwards. But no, the S&P 500 and the JC are both powering to record highs. And I guess this puts us out of whack totally with the option structure that you have. Yes, that's right. So I guess you're referring specifically here to the S&P 500, although we've got an option structure on the top 40 as well, which we'll talk yeah. about in a moment. But first, First up, the S&P 500, yes, we have a, an option structure, it's a put spread structure which expires on the 20th of October, so 10 days from today, and uh, it only works for us below 24.90, which looks highly unlikely that we're going there within the next 10 days. So I think that's pretty much a given at this stage that this structure is going to close out the money, so we'll lose our $240 of premium here, unless there's some catastrophe between now and then, but it's looking extremely unlikely. I so mean, would you actually be chasing the US market though at this point, or would that also be dangerous? Yeah, I wouldn't be chasing it at this point. I'd, I'd prefer to see a dip and then look to try and buy into it. And that's been my strategy all along. And when we put this option structure on, uh, looking for the pullback towards sort of 2460, and that, that stage I was looking really for this market to just go and fill that gap, which is circled over there. Mm. And, uh, and that would have put us in the money. And then I would have liked to have used any profit that we generated off this option structure to then look for a bullish structure to try and get involved on the long side. And as it's turned out, it's just continued to push up and up and up. It hasn't actually given any pullback at all, uh, of not of any significance really. It's continued to move higher. And uh, where we sit right now, we're sort of up against the top end of this channel that I identified last week. We've actually pushed out slightly through the top of that channel. But do keep in mind, it's very overbought now. If you look at your RSI on the top there, mm -hmm. that is above 70 which indicates a market that's extremely overbought. So, you know, I wouldn't be chasing it while things are looking like they are at the moment. Ideally, I'd want to see a dip and then buy into that. And that's the way I've been playing this the whole, the whole year, I suppose, is looking for this dip to then try and get on board. The reality is the dips have been so, so shallow. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned it last week that the S&P 500 hasn't given more than a 3% pullback since November last year when Donald Trump won the US election. That's... I, I had a chart, I think we might have even discussed it on last week's mm -hmm. show, that not in a hundred years has the S&P 500 had a year where the pullback has been so non-existent like this. <laughs> Most years you will get between a 5 and 10 and even up to a 15% pullback. This year has been a, an extreme anomaly in the mm -hmm. sense that it's been a very, very linear upward trend and there's been no meaningful pullback whatsoever this year. Yeah. Well, I mean... France de Clerc always talks about gaps will eventually be filled. So what's the bet? It'll come back, retrace, fill that gap, but only after the options uh, period has expired. I think that's probably exactly what will happen. But, you know, we could always put another one of these option structures on. I'm just at the point where I'm saying, well, we keep on throwing a 2% of our yeah. portfolio at an <coughs> option structure looking for a you know, 5 to 1 or 6 to 1 risk reward payoff. And one, of the, one day one of these things will pay off for us. But the thing is, it, you know, <laughs> you keep chucking 2% at a 2% at it, a adds it adds up. And that's what we've seen this year. And that's why our offshore portfolio has performed so badly this year. Yeah. Well, the local portfolio looks a lot better. And especially after the last couple of weeks, because you went long um, of the index, um, although maybe not to the extent that you should have. Correct. We did go long. So this is the top 40 future chart over here at, uh, that we're looking at right now. And about two weeks back, we went long on that very, very 
shallow little pullback after the futures closeout. We went long of a December all me future. Now remember an all me future is the mini contract. Mm. Uh, it represents one rand per point on that future. So we went long of one of those at 49,500, which effectively gives us 49,500 rands worth of long exposure to the market. And the reason I did that at that level was because I knew we had protection offered by this option structure below 49,500. So effectively it was like a free hit, mm. as it were. But I didn't go fully long. I didn't buy 100% long against the option structure. I went only effectively what is 10% long against the structure. So far too small of a position in hindsight. But at that stage, I didn't know whether we were going to pull back further or not. So I wanted to kind of leave my options open. But anyway, we did get at least a little bit of long exposure there. And we were we long for the last two weeks. I have decided to close that trade out today. Mm. So I've exited at 52,105. So we've made about 2,600 points on that, which is quite nice. So it's 2,600 Rand profit, which is pretty decent. That's um, 2.6% of our portfolio effectively that we make there. So that's okay. But ideally, it would have been great to have a bigger, bigger yeah. exposure. I suppose if it had been an Aussie contract, it would have been would it have been 26,000? Uh, if we had a full Aussie future, then that's 10 Rand per point. That would have then implied we would have had a, would have had a 495,000 Rand long position. Yeah. So um, I, I wouldn't have wanted to go along a full Aussie future. That's why I did the all me. But what I possibly should have done, instead of doing one all me, maybe I should have done three all me's just to give me a little bit more exposure on the long side than what we had. But anyway, it's easy in hindsight, as, <laughs> as is always the case with trading. Trading is full of sh shoulda, woulda, and coulda. <laughs> Yeah. Dinner. Yeah. Um, okay, guys. So, um, but let's talk about the general market because you've got a couple of charts that you want to bring up, and um, just and and you're using core shares um, as an example of how skewed the market is at the moment to just a couple of shares, uh, which is really what's pushing um, us to record levels. Yes, that's right. So what we've got here is a chart of the Satrix 40 index, or Satrix 40 ETF rather, uh, versus the core shares equally weighted top 40. So just so that the viewers understand the difference, this top one is the, is the Satrix 40. So what that is, it's, it's an exchange traded fund which mimics the top 40 index. So it's got the same weightings as the top 40 index published on the JSE. Then the core shares equally weighted top 40 index has those shares, all, all 40 shares in the, in the index, but equally weighted instead of market-related or index-related weightings. Now, the reason I bring this up is because you can see that there's a huge discrepancy that, mm. has, create, that has opened up over the last six months or so, where the Satrix 40 has significantly outperformed the core shares equally weighted top 40 ETF. And the reason for that comes down to the weightings of the shares that, that make up the Satrix 40. So if we have a look, this is the, the weightings of the top five shares in the Satrix 40 ETF. So you can see there NASPA sitting at about 22% weighting. Um, Richmond 10%, Billiton 8% and so on. But really it's these two shares at the top here, Naspers and Richmond, that really, really do account for that significant outperformance with the Satrix 40 over the core shares equally weighted. And, 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 and the reason I want to bring this up is because it, it, it goes a long way to explaining why so many fund managers this year, local fund managers, will underperform the index. Because if you haven't had a full weighting to NASPERS and a full weighting to Richmond in, in accordance with what the index weightings are, there's almost no chance you would have been able to beat the index this year. Yeah. But what if you subscribe to the sort of efficient market hypothesis where the market is efficient and knows what it's doing? So 
you know, why not? Why not have 22% um, exposure to, to NASPASS? Why not just do exactly what um, the overall market is doing? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, the market might be, might be efficient, but that doesn't then take away the concentration risk. And, and, and to have 22% of your portfolio in one stock is, is irresponsible, I think. In terms of proper diversification principles, you know, I think any responsible fund manager doesn't put 22% of the, in, of the client's funds into one stock. It's just, it's just too much concentration risk. You know, and it just so happens that this is a year where NASPAS, being the biggest share in the index, has gone up almost 60% this year. Richmond, being the second biggest share on the index, has also gone up substantially. But what about a year where we go, let, let's just say for argument's sake that NASPAS corrects 30%. Mm. And you know, it's not impossible that that could happen at some stage. I mean, NASPAS trades on a PE multiple of 130 times at the moment. For, for that stock to correct 30% is definitely not beyond the realms of possibility. And, and in that case, you'll find that then the Satrix 40 would significantly underperform the equally weighted uh, ETF. So, you know, it's a difficult one. But I think I just put this out there because I know a lot of fund managers are having difficult discussions with their clients this year uh, in the sense that they've underperformed the index by a, long, by, by a lot. And mm. this goes a long way to explaining exactly why that is the case. Yeah. And I think uh, any responsible fund manager this year would most likely have underperformed the index because you can't have 22% of a client's funds in one stock. It's yeah. just too risky. Well, I mean, and I suppose it goes back to the point, it's all fun and games while it's up 60%, but when it's down 60%, then you then you really hear the screaming of Well, that's of it, and clients. that's when you feel the benefit of <laughs> diversification, proper diversification. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think you've got to remember you can't have it both ways. Okay. So, um, unfortunately, we should have just stuck with NASPAS because we were long at some point having said that. Yeah. Um, but uh, this week's trade is the gold price. Um, gas, so, you know, moving from new tech to, to very old tech. Very Why old are you looking tech. at a, a long position here? Yeah, so I, I'm just interested in the gold price in US dollars here. This is putting some of our offshore capital to work here. Um, the gold price generally does have a fairly constructive chart structure to it. It has been trending up over the last year, year and a half or so. You can see there the pattern of higher lows and higher highs evident. The 50-day moving average is pointing up and so is the 200-day moving average. What I'm particularly interested in is the fact that this move up that we saw from July until early September was quite a big move. That was about, uh, what, 150-odd dollars up in the gold price. And you can see that it's retraced quite significantly over the last month or so. Now the 61% Fibonacci retracement comes in at about $1,262 an ounce. And we've seen a very clear reversal up off that level over the last couple of days on the gold price. Mm. Uh, it is oversold, as you can see, indicated by a stochastic oscillator at the bottom here. So my sense is that it looks as if we're getting a reversal in the gold price and it's likely to tick up a bit from here. So I've taken a long position in spot gold, which you can do on an offshore account. And I'm looking for a bit of a rebound in the gold price from here and that's the trade that we've done this week. Garth I mean just and, and just maybe going back to are those the the 50 day and 200 day moving averages the, Correct. the, the red and blue lines? Yes. So 200 is the, is the, 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 the 200 red line? day is the red line and you can see it started to point upwards and then your 50 day moving average also pointing upwards so that's the blue line. Okay so take us through the mechanics of that trade. All right so uh, we've gone long of uh, $1,282 an ounce. I've gone with a stop loss at 1258 
So it means that the risk per ounce of gold effectively is $24 per ounce over here. Uh, I'm risking $240, so that works out at roughly 2% of our offshore capital that we have at our disposal. So $240, divide that by the $24 risk per share, allows us to effectively buy an exposure to 10 ounces of, of gold. Uh, remember, I'm doing this via CFD, so it's effectively a leveraged play as well. Yeah. Targeting $1,320 an ounce or possibly a little bit higher, and therefore my risk-reward ratio on those numbers is 1 to 1.6. And obviously, it depends where we where we close out of this thing. But that's at this stage what the risk to reward ratio looks like. And are you looking for any particular kicker um, other than pure technicals that you've explained? Well, look, obviously the technicals are what I'm mainly looking at here. But there is, of course, geopolitical risk out there. We don't know whether there's North North Korea U.S. tensions will kick up again. I mean, nobody really knows except those two, if they even <laughs> know, I suppose. Um, but I, I do always keep that in the back of my mind and think if, any, if, the, if those tensions were to escalate, then I think you could quite easily see the yeah. gold price pushing higher. Okay. So it's been quite active, actually, in, the, uh, in both portfolios over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. What do they look like? How do they stack up? Yeah, so here's our RAND portfolio locally. We've still got this put spread structure running out to December, so we keep that in the background. Uh, the profit that we made on the ALMI futures, 2,600 RAND. So we're up 10% for the year to date on our local part of the portfolio. The offshore portfolio is not looking as good. It's still down 8.5%. We've got this put spread structure on the S&P 500, which is going to expire next week and probably will expire worthless. And then, of course, we've now got our long position in spot gold over here, which is up about $50 at mm. the moment. So, yeah, we, 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 we continue to try our best as we head out into the end of the year. I'd really like to see this offshore portfolio performing a bit better. Yeah, I mean, even if it just gets back to, I suppose, break even, mm. at least then there's something in the local kitty to Correct. give to charity. Yeah. Garth, uh, and then just a reminder um, that people can get a weekly alert uh, from you if they subscribe. That's right. If you go to traderscorner.co.za, you'll see there's a link in the middle of the page there to subscribe to a free weekly email. Uh, click on that. Takes two seconds to enter your details, and then you'll get an email from us every Tuesday detailing what is coming up on the show for that week. Great. We'll leave it there. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Garth McKenzie is founder and editor of Traders Corner.